Hey everyone, and welcome to the Messages Podcast of Northview Church. We are so glad you're joining us for today's message. At Northview, we're all about connecting people with God and connecting people with people. We would love for you to come and check us out in person. You can find campus locations and information at northviewchurch.us. We hope you enjoy the message. So, I don't know that I've ever started a series on Easter, but this just was so apropos to what we're trying to communicate. And so we're starting a four-week series called True North. Did you guys know that True North is actually a point in the North Pole? It is actually a point in the North Pole. You said, well, yeah, Steve, we knew that. So how do we find True North? Well, I think many of you would quickly say, well, you need a compass. And if we have a compass, then we could find True North, right? Okay, so if we take this compass, let's say, and I point it due north, which is right here. It's a little bit hard to find, there we go. So if I point it due north, and then I follow this, you guys followed behind me, and I follow this to a T, my question is, would, we, would that lead us right to the point of the North Pole? How many of you say that it would? How many of you are afraid to answer? Yeah. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't lead us to the North Pole. Some of you are saying, what? That can't be right. You see, while true north is a fixed point on the globe, magnetic north is the direction the compass needle points as it aligns with the Earth's magnetic field. And magnetic north, listen to this, magnetic north is not a fixed point. It's always shifting in response to the changes in the Earth's magnetic core. So magnetic north rarely, listen, it rarely aligns with true north. And the difficult, and the, listen, and the difference actually depends on where you're standing. The difference actually depends on where you find yourself on the Earth. You understand what I'm saying? For instance, if you are in Los Angeles following magnetic north, you would miss true north by 12 degrees. If you were in New Zealand and you followed magnetic north, you would miss true north by 20 degrees. You see, most compasses, as you know, use a magnet. Therefore, they're going to direct us towards magnetic north and not true north. Let me show you another example that you may not be aware of. Your iPhone. Your iPhone actually has a compass in it, if you didn't know that. So if you were to take, and I've tried this, and it's true, if you were to take two iPhones and you were to put them side by side, both of them are set on magnetic north. So if I decided to take one of them and I went to my default settings, and so if you went to settings to default and you went to the compass uh, and you went to use true north and switch that on, if you point then, and then we took the two of them, one magnetic, one true north, and you point them both north, you will see they're not, pointing, they're not pointing in exactly the same direction. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, man, our pastor is smart. <laughs> oh, okay, that's probably not what you're thinking. What you're probably thinking is, Steve, who cares? <laughs> and what does this have to do with Easter? Well, stay with me if you would. When you think about, guys, when you think about where your life is headed today, I think all of us might agree that we live, we live in a culture where everyone's compass is pointed in different directions. Think about it. 
Everyone's compass is pointed in different directions. There are so many different ideals or ideas or worldviews or philosophies and values. And if you follow the magnetic pull of our culture, you will never end up at true north. So my hope in this series is that before we finish, you're going to discover true north. Yeah, but Steve, think about it. If we're going in the right direction, what difference is a few degrees going to make anyway? Guys, it matters more than you might think. For instance, if let's say that you were in an airplane and you were only off one degree, no big deal, right? If you're only off one degree, and yet every hour of flight, if you're off one degree, every hour of flight will put you one mile off course. So if it's two miles, then it's two hours. If you go three miles, then it's, uh, uh, then it's three miles. Three hours is three miles off course. You get the point. Even though I'm not saying it right, you get the point. <laughs> so what if you were in, so think about it, what if you were in a rocket and you were headed to the moon? And let's say, you say, Steve, come on, we're only off one degree. It's not that big of a deal. We're as close as you can get. If you were only off one degree by the time you arrived, you would be off course 4,169 miles. Needless to say, you'd completely miss the moon. So guys, the longer you live your life just off true north, the more certain it will be that you're gonna find yourself at a destination you never intended. Now, at one period of your life, you may have been headed true north. You know, we're all at different places and, and different points of our life, of our journey. And some of you would say, you know, at one point in my life, there's no question in my mind I was headed true north. But something caused you to get off course. Something. I, I don't know what it might have been. Maybe it was politics. Maybe it was racial issues. Maybe it was health issues. Maybe it was a broken relationship. Maybe it was face masks. Maybe it was COVID. Maybe it was money worries. Maybe it was some bad habit. But whatever it was, something has caused you to get off course. Friends, please listen to me. Jesus is the only way you will ever find true north. Jesus is the only way you will ever find true north. In fact, Jesus clearly spelled this out in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered and said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's saying, I am the way to true north. I am the way to God. I am the truth. I don't just talk about truth. I'm the very definition of what truth is. I am a life, abundant life now and eternal life with God. Now, guys, in the Gospel of John, we find seven, seven I am statements. In the Gospel of John, there are seven I am statements that are made by Jesus. Friends, there's a lot of confusion today. If you don't think it's true, just start asking some of your friends. There's a lot of confusion today on who Jesus really is. And yet, if you read Scripture, you'll find that that was the last thing he wanted to happen. He doesn't want you to be confused. He wants it to be very clear. He didn't want it to be a mystery. He wants it to be very clear exactly who he is. And so... Here's the seven I am's. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. So can you see as we go through those really quick, can you see Jesus is trying to describe to us, he's trying to identify who he is. He's trying to clarify and make it very, very clear. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am 
the true vine. Well, we're going to, in this series, it's four weeks, so we're going to look at four of them. We're going to look at I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, and I am the true vine. Now, friends, listen to me. If you don't attend on a regular basis, I would tell you the next three weeks would be worth the investment of your time. If you just say, you know, I want to hear this series, and so I'm going to come for the next three weeks, I really do believe it's worth the investment of your time. Because listen, guys, whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or whether you're just now considering the claims of Christ, you need to be, you need to be able to answer this question. Who is Jesus? And what will you do with him? You need to be able to answer that in your own life. Not, not what your parents think, not what your kids think, not what your spouse thinks. Every one of us individually need to be able to answer that question. Who is Jesus and what will you do with him? Now, since it's Easter, I want to start with the most, listen, with the most definitive and powerful statement Jesus ever made about himself. I, I really want you to get this. This is the most definitive and powerful statement that Jesus ever made about himself. In John chapter 11, he says, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and life. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Uh, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Guys, why do you think, I mean, we all have, my gosh, if there's ever been a time where everybody has an opinion, it's right now. But why do you think that COVID has paralyzed our world? Why are so many people afraid? Now, I really don't think, and I could be wrong too, I really don't think it's because we're afraid to get sick. I mean, all of us get sick, right? I think it's the fear that someone I love, or even myself, might actually die from this. Guys, I've said this many times before, but the fear of death is the strongest human emotion we have, or I guess I should say it the other way. The desire to live is the strongest human emotion that we have. I love what Woody Allen said. He, he said, it's not that I'm afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. I've often said to you many times before, I'm not afraid of death, I'm just not ready to get on the bus. We can exercise, we can eat right, we can refuse to take any risk, but every single one of us is going to die. Then George Bernard Shaw said the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one, people die. There's gonna be a day, guys hear me, there is going to be a day when your body is gonna slump and you're gonna take that last breath. So then what happens? Is a shallow grave all there is? Well, I want us to look at what happens when Lazarus dies in John chapter 11. Many of you have read the story before, but in verse one it says a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. We don't know exactly what was wrong with Lazarus, but we know he must have been pretty sick and pretty serious because his two sisters felt like they needed to call on Jesus for help. We jump down to verse 3. It says, so the two sisters, these are Lazarus' sisters, sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So these are siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, okay? 
these three siblings were very close to Jesus, so much so that they didn't even need to identify their brother to him. Jesus immediately knew who they were talking about. Do you know what Jesus did when he heard his close friend was sick near death? You know what he did? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read that, it sounds very, very odd to me. Why didn't he stop everything he was doing? Why didn't he drop what he was doing so that he could go to be with his friend? Guys, had there ever been a time in your life, and it's maybe a silly question because if you've ever prayed, I'm sure you've been here before, but has there ever been a time where you felt like your prayers were being ignored by God? When you felt like heaven was silent? Well, this story shows us that God's delays, listen, God's delays are certainly not because he's ignoring you or because he doesn't care about you. He just has a greater purpose that we don't always see. And he just wants us to trust him. He just wants us to take him at his word. He just wants us to trust him. Listen, guys, God is always at work in the upper story. I talk a lot around here. If you come to Northview Long, you'll hear me talk about this a lot. I talk a lot about the upper story and the lower story. The upper story is the invisible realm where God is at work. We, we, we can't see it, but God's spirit is at work. There's no, no limitations whatsoever. We live in the lower story, in the visible realm, where there are limitations, limitations of time and space. But God is always at work in the upper story, even if you can't see it, you can know that it's true. Listen, the outcome of your prayers might not be, the outcome of what you're praying for, even right now, might not be what you prayed for. But God has certainly not forgotten you. And God is certainly at work in your life. Now, naturally, as you might imagine, Mary and Martha wanted Jesus to come and to heal their brother, as you would want with any family member you had. But it just didn't happen the way they wanted it to happen. Lazarus died. We don't even want to think about death because it's so final. So we don't talk about it. It's one conversation that we don't bring up at parties. It's one conversation that we don't sit around and talk about because nobody wants to talk about death. It's so final. The scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. Again, I think it comes back to our fear of death. But guys, for the one who follows Christ, for the believer, for the Christian, death is actually a graduation. It's hard to wrap our brain around that, but it's true. Death is actually a graduation into the presence of God for all eternity. To be in the presence of the Lord, free from all earthly pain and tears, free from all earthly limitations of any type. And what's hard for us, it's hard for those that are left behind. It's hard for us to let go of people that we love. Even though we know they're in a better place, it's still hard for us because obviously we're gonna miss them. And yet, if they're a believer and you're a believer, you have the hope, you have the promise that you're gonna see them again for all eternity. So after Lazarus dies, then Jesus decides to go. You know, he's been hanging around here. And so days go by, and then Jesus decides it's time to go check on Lazarus. And so verse 17 says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Lazarus has already been dead for four days. Now, this is important. In the Jewish culture, four days was significant. I think many times people just read over that and don't understand this is a big deal. 
In the Jewish culture, four days was significant. They believed that after someone died, their spirit would hover over their bodies for four days. And then after the fourth day, the spirit would leave permanently. So after that, they're absolutely, after four days, there's absolutely no hope. So when Jesus showed up on the fourth day, the sisters were angry. You're too late. There's nothing you can do now, Jesus. Guys, have you ever been ticked at God? Have you ever been disappointed in the Lord because he didn't answer your prayers the way you wanted him to or when you wanted him to? Jesus, I have been praying for my marriage, but now the divorce has gone through. My marriage is officially dead. Or I've been praying for God to help me climb the corporate ladder, but today they came in and let me go. God, it's day four. You missed your opportunity. If Jesus would have just showed up when I asked him to, this would have never happened. That's actually what Martha said in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's what Martha said. Mary comes up a little bit later, says the same thing. Verse 32, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. You ever felt that way? I have. Man, if I'm being honest with you, there have been many times I've felt that way. God, if you would have just done what I asked you to do, this never would have happened. Listen to what Jesus says to Martha in verse 23. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. I think Martha is frustrated. The scripture doesn't say this. This is my own opinion. But I think Martha is frustrated with that answer. I don't think she felt comforted at that moment from Jesus. Verse 24 says, yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. You see, she thinks Jesus is talking about the future, heaven. She says, yeah, I know in the future I'll see Lazarus again. I know that, Jesus. But Jesus, I'm hurting right now. Listen, it's the way you might feel if you suffered a loss in your life and someone said something to you like, well, you know you'll see him again in heaven or you can try to have more kids in the future or you know, you'll find another job maybe even better than the one you have now. You know, guys, all those things are kind things to say. I mean, when anybody says those type of things to us, they mean well. They're just trying to comfort us. They're just trying to encourage us. But right now, you're really not concerned. In the middle of your pain, you're really not concerned with the future. You're simply looking for hope today. Well, let's see how Jesus responds to her frustration in verse 25. It says, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. We read this earlier. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? You see, he's not asking if she believes he showed up in the past. He's not asking if, he, if, if she believes he's going to do something in the future. He's asking, do you believe that I can do something in your life right now? Do you believe that I want to help you right now? He wants her to see that real life can be found in Jesus, in him today. Again, guys, there is no other way to a relationship with God except through Jesus. We just read that passage in John chapter 14 when he said, I am the way. I'm not a way. I am the way. I am the only way, in fact, to get to God. I am the truth and I am the life. You know, every single one of us, the scripture is clear in Romans that every single one of us have sinned against God. 
And also in Romans, it tells us that because of the sin that's in our life, we deserve to die for the sins in our life. But Jesus, he gets up from his seat in heaven and he comes to this earth and he lives as a man. And yet it says he never sinned. Jesus never sinned when he walked this earth. And yet he willingly goes to the cross, not for his sins, but for your sins and for mine. And he dies in our place so that we can be forgiven. And three days later, he rises, listen to me, three days later, he rises from the grave to conquer death. And friends, what I want you to understand is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what separates Christ from all others who claim to be God. You know, throughout history, if you, you read anything about uh, Muhammad or some of these other people that claim to be gods, the only thing that separates Jesus' claim to be God from every other one is that he actually came back from the dead. The resurrection is the only thing that separates him from everyone else that claimed to be God. And that's why the resurrection is such a big deal in the Christian faith. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, but tell me this. I mean, he just keeps saying this over and over, trying to drive this point home. He says, but tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Can I just simplify all that? No resurrection, no Christianity. No resurrection, no Christianity. Throughout the years, I've, I've heard people make comments like, oh, I believe in Jesus. He's the most important thing in my life. Even if, even if they proved there was no resurrection, I'd still believe in him. I wouldn't. I absolutely would not. It is the resurrection that sets him apart. It is the resurrection that makes him the Messiah. The, listen, guys, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single greatest miracle the world has ever known. It demonstrates Christ's finished work of redemption, and it reminds us that his power over death makes a way for us to spend all eternity with him in heaven. Let's go back to our story with Martha. Jesus is telling her that even though the outer shell, or in other words, the physical body dies, the person who believes in Christ will never die. He says, do you believe this, Martha? Is your help in me, Martha? Do you trust me with those things you can't see with your eyes, Martha? Because guys, what he's talking about when he asks her this question is he's talking about simple faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. You say, well, Steve, I'm not sure I understand what is faith. He defines it. The writer of Hebrews defines it for us in the very first verse of chapter 11. He says, now faith is. He's getting ready to define it. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is certain of what God is doing in the upper story. Now Jesus sees Mary and the mourners weeping, and he sees the tomb, and it says here that Jesus wept. I just want to point out that's the, <clears throat> that's the shortest scripture passage in the Bible. Did you know that? 
Jesus wept. It's two words. And you say, well, why? When they, when they put verse and chapters to the Bible, why did they just make that verse two words? Because it's so significant. The creator of the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus wept. But why would he cry? He knows Lazarus is going to be okay. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the grave in just a moment. Guys, I think what you're seeing is the heart of our God for those that are hurting. I think what you're witnessing right there is the heart of our God that feels our hopelessness, that feels our pain. I think we have a heavenly Father who absolutely hurts when we hurt. Well, Jesus then stands in front of the tomb. Listen to me, friends. Every tomb begs the question, where are your eyes fixed? Where are your eyes fixed? Are they fixed on Jesus and eternal things? Or are they fixed on the things of this world? Because the things of this world, I'm just telling you, are wasting away. Well, Jesus stands at the tomb, verse 39. It says, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. You see, they didn't embalm back then, and it was a warm climate, and so bodies would decay very quickly. So the text is just really, you say, well, why did they include that? Because the text is just really making it clear that Lazarus is dead. At this point, everybody's curious. At this point, all the mourning, all the weeping, all the crying by all the spectators, by all the people that have gathered there has stopped. There is silence and anticipation of what's about to happen right now. We go to verse 40, and it says, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. That's significant. I don't want you to miss that. Father, thank you for hearing me. Why is that a big deal? Do you remember, do you remember those two days when they brought the message from Mary and Martha and said, our brother is dying and Jesus didn't come? I would tell you guys, no one could understand when, when, you know, I couldn't understand as I read that. Why wouldn't he not respond? Why didn't he go immediately to Lazarus? I believe with everything within me, I believe that it was during those two days Jesus was praying for Lazarus. Because Jesus' first response is always prayer. His first response is always to get the mind of the Father, to get the mind of the Lord before he did anything. Prayer is what kept his focus on the upper story. Prayer is what kept his focus on God's purposes and plans. And prayer will do the same thing for you and it'll do the same thing for me. In verse 43, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Can you imagine witnessing that? I mean, these people have got to be in shock. Here comes this guy that's been dead in the tomb for four days, and now he comes hopping out, all tied up. After four days, a dead man comes out of the grave. Wow, this is just such a cool story. And yet at the same time, I hope you know that it's not the ultimate resurrection story. At this point, death had not yet been defeated. Are you hearing me? At this point, Jesus has not died. So death has not yet been defeated. In fact, we know that Lazarus would one day face death all over again. Bummer. It's tough to go through it once. It'd be hard to have to go through it twice. 
Friends, the ultimate resurrection happens a little while later when Jesus comes out of the tomb on the third day. You see, the whole Easter story is a three-day event. The whole Easter story wraps, is wrapped up in three days. Day one is Friday. The day they tried him and judged him. The day they whipped him and beat him and mocked him. The day they spit in his face and tore his beard from his face. The day they hung him on a cross to die and then laid him in a tomb to rot away. And then there's day two, which was a day of absolute silence. A day they all began to lose hope. They thought Jesus was going to be their next king, but now he's dead. Now he's gone. But don't ever forget, friends, Easter is a three-day story. And it was on that third day that Jesus rose from the grave. It was on the third day that Jesus conquered death. Sunday is by far the most death-defying, grave-defeating, hope-inspiring event in the history of mankind. So guys, I hope this helps you to understand just a little bit more of who Jesus is. He is the resurrection and the life. And he said, everyone who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Listen. If you're headed in any other direction than true north, you are going to be so greatly disappointed because we were created, every single one of us, we were created by God to be in relationship with him. You remember the, the whole story? That's what you saw in the very beginning, in the opening. You saw kind of the history in just a few moments. Right out of the gate, God created man and he created woman and he put him in the Garden of Eden to be in fellowship with him and he said, it's all yours, just don't eat of the tree. Everything you want, it's all yours, just don't eat of the tree. And what do they do? By Genesis chapter three, they've ate of the tree. They sin against God. And because of that rebellion and because of that sin, this perfect relationship with God is broken. And now there's a chasm that separates the two and they can no longer get back to God. But Jesus got up from his seat in heaven and he came to this earth as that baby in the manger. That was the Christmas story. He lived without sin and then he willingly went to the cross to die for you and for me. To pay our, the price of our sin so that we could be forgiven and declared not guilty. And the scripture says, but as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. So basically he comes, why? So that he can step in the gap. So he could, so he could bridge the gap between God and us. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He wants to take the hand of the Father in your hand and bring you back into a relationship again. Thanks again for joining us on this week's podcast. If you have any questions or would like to speak with a pastor, please connect with us on our website or through social media. You can also find a Northview location to visit in person by going online to northviewchurch.us and then selecting the locations page. We're so glad you joined us today and we hope you have a great week.